Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu, Eko'olau. The life lessons from the Bible are abundant, especially when it comes to Peter. See how much of Peter might be in you. Here's First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw with the sermon, Falling into Freedom. We're continuing our sermon series uh, through the Gospel according to Mark that we've called Hope Restored. Uh, Over the weeks that we are walking through the momentous uh, events of Holy Week, Uh, we are approaching the event that is the source of our hope. The death of Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world, for your sins and for mine, uh, is the ground of our hope. What happens in today's text takes place as Jesus is being unjustly tried and brutally assaulted in the high priest's home. If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. He said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. A lot of us can see our own lives in Peter's life. I know I can. Peter's a guy who likes to be in charge. He's a guy who liked to call the shots and define the way things were going to be when Jesus tried to wash Peter's feet at the last dinner that they had together before Jesus' crucifixion. Peter refuses. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. But Jesus says to Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. So impulsive, no internal editor, Peter says, if that's the case, then give me a bath. And then there was the time that Jesus talked with his disciples about what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And that time, Peter said to Jesus, oh no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter. Sometimes when Peter takes charge, he overpromises. A few weeks ago, we heard uh, Peter tell Jesus that he would never, ever, ever desert him, even if everybody else did. And after making that promise, which I believe Peter really did believe, we see Peter and the fellow disciples fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, They dozed off as Jesus is wrestling uh, in agony about what he's about to do. And then when Judas and the soldiers show up, uh, they come to arrest Jesus, and Peter pulls out a sword to defend his Lord and ends up cutting off a guy's ear when he's trying to take off his head. As I read today's text, I have a lot of compassion 
for Peter. Last Sunday, Pastor Dan talked about uh, what precedes this event. Peter can see and he can hear the abuse that Jesus is experiencing. He can surely hear the blows and the taunts and the derision being heaped upon Jesus. So understandably, he's scared. I would be scared. So when he's confronted by a servant girl, he panics and ends up denying that he's one of Jesus' disciples. Peter's name used to be Simon, and Simon can mean shaky or unstable. So far, that seems like a good name for Peter. Do you guys know this guy's name or what his nickname is? He voiced uh, Maui in the animated feature Moana. His nickname is The Rock. Dwayne The Rock Johnson shares a nickname with one of the characters in today's text. That's right. He shares a nickname with the apostle Peter because Peter means rock. Peter is the new name that Jesus gave to shaky, unstable Simon. How in the world will Mr. Unstable become the rock? Well, we're watching that process, that process of transformation that's unfolding in Peter's life in these stories that we're studying together. We're watching Jesus transform shaky into rocky. You know, at this point, as I'm watching Peter, I would not, I don't think I would let him lead a rooted small group. (laughs) But Jesus is going to have him lead the entire church. How does this transformation take place? Peter is in the process of falling into freedom. And he's doing that by entering a dark night of the soul. It is there that God will begin to set him free from all of his efforts to save himself, to prove himself, to try and show that he can be good enough to merit God's love. Peter is falling into freedom. And it will be in a dark, dark night of the soul when he feels like a complete loser that God will set him free. I want to read Luke's account of Peter's denial of Jesus because of one thing that Luke points out that Mark does not mention. I want you to listen very carefully to this reading because I've got a question for you when I'm finished. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. 
Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So after Peter denies Jesus for the third time, Luke records in verse 61 something that Mark did not include. Luke tells us that at the moment that Peter denied that he knew Jesus for the third time, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now here's the question I want to ask. What do you think was the expression on Jesus' face when he looked straight at Peter? (laughs) Obviously we don't know for sure. We're just going to do a little speculating here. What do you think was the expression on Jesus' face? I want you right now to turn to your neighbor and make that face. And tell them briefly why you think that was Jesus' expression. Okay, here's what I think. I don't think it was a look of disappointment. I don't think it was a look of hurt and anger. I don't think it communicated shame to Peter. Instead, I think the look of Jesus was one of love and compassion and understanding. It was a look that communicated to Peter, Peter, we're still in this together. Don't be afraid. After Jesus rises from the dead... Peter and Jesus are going to have a little chat on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter's going to understand in a new way the depth of Jesus' love for him and Jesus' plan for his life. But right now, Peter must feel like a miserable failure, a coward, a person who could not live up to what he promised. But Peter is going to again discover that Jesus is committed to taking Mr. Unstable and turning him into a rock. When Jesus rises from the dead, the angel who meets the women who come to the tomb, the empty tomb, the angel tells the women to go and tell his disciples and Peter that he wants to meet with them in Galilee. Go tell my disciples and Peter. I want to talk with him. After Peter fails to, in all his efforts to live up to his promises, when he realizes that he cannot save himself by trying to be very, very good, he begins to be open to a truth that will change his life. What he will discover is that the only way to live is to trust in what only Jesus can do to save us. The parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 reminds us that there are three ways to live. You can look to God for your salvation, that's one way. Or you can try to save yourself, and there's two ways to do that. There's an irreligious way of self-salvation, and there is a religious way of self-salvation. And you can see all those strategies in the parable of the prodigal son. The British Library has an exhibit that displays the sacred texts of the world's religions. 
Out of all the stories in the Bible they could have selected to illustrate Christianity, they selected the parable of the prodigal son. You may not realize it, but that common name of that parable is not accurate. To call it the parable of the prodigal son doesn't capture the breadth and the challenge of that story. You see, it's a story about two lost sons and not just one. One of those sons gets lost by being very, very bad. And the other son is lost in his attempts to be very, very good. Both sons are estranged from their father. Both want the father's things and not the father. They had different strategies to get the father's things. One son's strategy was to be very, very bad. And the other one tried to control his father's stuff by trying to be very, very good. One is lost away from home and one is lost at home. And the father has to come out of his house to seek both of his boys. It's easier for us to understand how the younger brother in the story is the one who's lost. We look at what he does with his life, squandering his inheritance with wild living, and say, yep, that boy's lost. That's what a sinful life looks like. It's harder for us to see that the older brother, who tries to be very, very good, is also lost. The pride of the older brother in his good works is keeping him away from his father's heart. His love of his own righteousness is separating him from the father. One of the challenges of the parable of the prodigal son is the amazing assertion that we need to turn away, to repent, of the reasons we do the good things we do when we are doing those good things in order to try and save ourselves, When Peter goes out and weeps bitterly, he begins to give up on his self-salvation efforts. As he realized that he had utterly failed at living up to his claims that he will be very, very good, he breaks down. But that is precisely the moment of his salvation. We've watched Peter unravel in these texts. We've studied over the last few weeks. We've watched his life come apart. Peter falls into the freedom of the gospel as he comes to the end of himself. It all started when Peter confidently declared that even if everyone else deserts Jesus, he never will. We'll then see that Peter can't even stay awake to watch with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then when Judas and the soldiers arrive, Peter the fisherman tries to kill one of the soldiers, misses his head, and takes off the man's ear. And now finally, in this passage, Peter will fail in precisely the way that Jesus said he would. Peter has tried to save himself by being very, very good. He's been trying to save himself by promising to be something He fails to be. And now, at the end of this passage, he is a broken man. But that is his moment of liberation. You see, there is a third way to live. We can stop trying to save ourselves by being very, very bad and taking control of our lives and doing whatever it takes to get what we want or by trying to be very, very good There's a third way to live. 
we can receive and accept what Jesus has freely done for us on the cross as a gift of grace. You and I are never going to stop being younger brothers or older brothers in our hearts until we truly see what was done for us on the cross. It is only then that we can stop trying to save ourselves and rest in the salvation that is offered for us and to us for free. One of my favorite uh, Pixar films is this one, Up, created by my friend Pete Doctor, who wrote and directed it. Who's seen this film? Okay, lots of people have seen this film. Pete Doctor and his family were a part of First Press Berkeley when I was a, uh, served on the staff as one of their pastors. In this remarkable film, we see three characters who are trying to save themselves. First, there's Charles Muntz, the scientist who tries to save his life by being very, very bad. Muntz will do anything he can to prove to his scientific colleagues that he had actually discovered a large multicolored bird, which they did not believe. He loses all of his awards and associations with that claim. He's determined to prove he was telling the truth about his discovery, no matter who gets hurt in the process. When, first, when Mutz first discovered uh, this bird and reported it, he was laughed at by his peers. They didn't believe it. So Mutz tries to save himself by doing everything he can to prove himself to others, and he's going to do whatever it takes. He's going to exploit other people. He's going to be very, very bad in an effort to save himself. Carl Fredrickson on the other hand, feels like a failure because he did not keep a promise he made to his wife, Ellie, about a great adventure they would take together to a place in South America called Paradise Falls. After the death of his beloved wife, Carl tries to assuage his guilty conscience by first floating and then dragging their entire house to Paradise Falls. Carl will try to save himself by being very, very good. Russell is the young scout who meets Mr. Fredrickson when Russell shows up at his house to earn his last badge in his wilderness explorer pursuit. And that's the badge to help the elderly. Underneath all of Russell's efforts is a desperate attempt to get the attention of his absent father. He thinks his dad will once again show him the love he needs if he can earn that last badge. Because at the award ceremony, all the dads present the wilderness explorers with the pins that they win. Of these three characters, Russell will be the first to recognize that the self-salvation strategies taken by Muntz and Fredrickson and the one he is using are empty. Empty attempts at resolving inner turmoil and guilt. They will not work to establish that sense of value and worth. Russell, who's been trying to be good enough for his dad, finally rips off the merit badge sash and throws it on the ground and says, Here, I don't want this anymore. He is no longer going to try and save himself. In vain, we try to save ourselves by either 
being very, very bad and doing whatever we feel we need to do to reach our goals and by, or by being very, very good in an effort to prove to ourselves and to others that we are good and worthy people. We need to turn away from our self-salvation efforts. We need to repent of our bad actions and we need to repent of the motives behind many of our good deeds if we're using those good deeds to try and save ourselves. That's what Peter needed to do and what begins to happen in his dark night of the soul. Redemption breaks into the story of Up when Carl Fredrickson receives a gift of grace from his wife, Ellie. When he finally opens up the scrapbook that they had set aside to record the promised adventure to Paradise Falls, Carl receives a gift of love and grace from beyond the grave. What Carl discovers on the pages of that scrapbook is that Ellie was not disappointed with him. Their big adventure wasn't ahead of them. Their life together was the adventure she'd always wanted and all she needed. So Carl, in a sense, is saved by grace. And he he is then liberated to live his life in new strength, in confidence, and with courage. He's going to be a become a man who will risk his life to do what is right, but it is being motivated from a completely different place. There are three ways to live. We can try and save ourselves by being very, very bad. We can try to save ourselves by being very, very good. Or we can give up on trying to save ourselves and let God save us. It's actually the only way we can be truly saved. So how do our lives change when we give up on our self-salvation strategies? How are we different in our interactions with our families when our lives are grounded in God's grace and forgiveness and love? How does our approach to our work change? How does our Uh, How does one look at the brokenness and struggling world all around us if we know that we ourselves are only saved because of what someone else did for us? When we're consumed by our efforts to save ourselves by disregarding God's ways, we hurt a lot of people in the process and ourselves. The same is true when we're driven by our efforts to be very, very good in an attempt to save ourselves. With our holier-than-thou attitudes, we are impatient with those we judge as less worthy or good. We bring havoc into our homes and our workplaces, and we are little good to God at what he is doing to reach the people of the world. There are three ways to live. Actually, there's only one. And that one way is to accept the grace of Jesus and begin to experience the freedom and transformation that comes when we live in his grace. Jesus is the only one who can save us. Let's give up our salvation, our self-salvation strategies, whatever they may be, and instead rest in the love and mercy and compassion and grace of Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh God, we do just give you thanks that you are a God who 
saves. And Lord, there might be people here today who want to say yes to your gift of salvation, to receive that grace as a gift. Or maybe there's someone who wants to begin a new adventure with you, to give up on self-salvation strategies. Lord, we want to bring those to you as well, whether we've been very, very bad and, or tried to be really, really good in our efforts to earn your love. We want to lay all of that in front of you and just say we want to receive the gift of your grace. So pour out your Holy Spirit and draw us to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe today you are feeling that uh, wide-open invitation to make a commitment to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Members of our prayer team would love you just to come forward and say, yes, uh, I want to receive Christ. And they would be happy to pray with you. Maybe you want to begin a new adventure with, with God deeper in his grace. Encourage you to come forward and to share things that might be blocking or you're struggling with that we can lift together to God in prayer. And before you leave, please uh, stop by the compassion tables and maybe God is wanting you to open up in a new adventure for a child in another part of the world uh, by sponsoring them. So please feel uh, welcome to come out and take a look at the children that, uh, that he might want you to sponsor. Now receive this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor both now and forevermore in God's people's sin. Amen. Amen. We try and try. We're earnest. We're industrious. We're busy. But a lot of our actions fall short because we just cannot create our own salvation. Let's rest on Jesus, our Savior. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Pres on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Pres app, Watch First Pres sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.